When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them, and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This all took place to fulfil what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. For the word of God in scripture. For the word of God among us. For the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. This Palm Sunday reading is in all four Gospels and it only makes sense for us in our culture if we understand what else is going on at the moment. Otherwise it's just a story all off by itself. First of all, we need to know that that it's happening during Passover. This is the biggest festival in the Jewish year. You may even know Jews today will often say during the Passover meal, next year in Jerusalem. Now, and, and even more so in Jesus' time, the greatest thing dream was to be able to spend Passover in Jerusalem, the holy city. It's the time of the year when the city had the biggest crowds when the biggest number of people were milling around and excited about Passover but also it was a huge headache for the Romans. Palestine was a Roman province and it had been always the most difficult province to control. Every governor who came to Palestine would either make his name by being able to control and subdue the people or it would break them. So they were, they were under extreme pressure and the odds, the, the, um, what was needed was so high. Uh, so in order to, to maintain the peace and also to make sure that nothing got back to Rome about an insurrection or an uprising or any of that sort of thing, the governor would come in from the administrative capital of Caesar, uh, Caesarea Maritima, which was on the coast, where they spent most of their time, come in with a huge heavy contingent of troops processing into Jerusalem in all pomp and ceremony to make it abundantly clear who was in charge. The peace of Rome was what Rome was all about, what they called Pax Romana, which was about control. It was always about you brought in overwhelming force, which gave you victory, and victory assumed peace. 
And peace was the idea that as long as nobody was acting up, as long as nobody was de was defying the authorities, that's what you had peace. There's a famous quote from the Roman historian uh, Tacitus who, who wrote in 20, 30 years after Jesus' death. And one of his famous sayings was, they make a desert and they call it peace. He was talking about Rome. They make a desert and call it peace. So it was all about force and control. That was what peace meant. That's what Pax Romana meant. Now, in order to do that in Jerusalem at a time of great turmoil, see, the other thing about Passover is it's the celebration that the Jews were having to, to remember the Exodus, the celebration over their escape from and, and um, defeat of the great superpower of that day of hundreds and hundreds of years before with the Egyptians. So here they are celebrating this great, this great freedom moment from a superpower, but they're under the heel of another superpower. So not only were there lots of people on the streets of, of Jerusalem at Passover, but there were all kinds of militant language being used and there were all kinds of groups trying to ferment revolt and uh, dissent. So it was a really important time for the Romans to control what was going on. In order to do that, they do it with a kind of theatre, not just force. So the uh, Roman uh, procurator, the, the, the Roman governor, would come in through the main gates of the city, riding on a war horse with troops behind, the banners, the great golden eagle uh, that each legion had to to demonstrate to the world that it was um, under the control of Caesar and they would have banners and shouts that said Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Son of God, Caesar is Saviour of the world. Uh, much of this we can get from the, the work of uh, uh, John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg in uh, in a number of their books, but particularly in the in the book The Last Week, where they spell out these sorts of things. But this isn't the only time we know of this. These were the this is the way Rome controlled so many of its provinces. Um, we have many uh, stories in in Roman history of these great triumphs coming through the city to show not only who was boss, but who had made the world the way it was. So we know that story. So Jesus' story of coming into the city begins to give it shape and make sense of why it's there, why we have it in all four Gospels. First of all, Rome comes in the front way. <clears throat> Jesus comes in the back way. He's riding... Well, first of all, he always comes in the back way. That's the story we've got of Jesus. In his birth, he's not born in a palace, which is what Herod was expecting when he'd been told by the wise men that there was a new king in Judea. He comes in through the smallest, the back way, the poorest place, being born in a stable. That's the story that we have. And he comes not on a war horse, which were owned by the rich and the powerful, and a demonstration of that power and control, not only control of the whole world, but the, the, the strong man controlling a powerful horse, an enormous image of power and control. Not only that, but, but he comes in on a donkey, which is the transport of the poor. Everyone could own a donkey. Very few people could own a horse. It was a symbol, and the donkey, of course, was the symbol of peace. And he comes not with banners of war, but with branches of peace. 
palm branches. Well, it's only John's gospel that mentions palm branches. The rest mention, uh, as our gospel does in Matthew, the just tree branches. But palm branches were a symbol of peace and also a symbol of Israel, the nation. So you can see all this powerful uh, symbolism going on. The Romans came with a golden eagle, the most valuable thing a legion possessed, so much so that we've got stories that if the legion, uh, the legion's golden eagle was captured, men would die in order to get it back. In Jesus' entrance, people were, bra- were waving branches. They were available everywhere. In a sense, they, were, they had no value. They shouted, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That's treason. They shouted Hosanna, which means save us. But this was the job of Caesar. Caesar kept going around and there are inscriptions still available that we can see. Caesar was saviour of the world. So this was treason. But in a sense, this was like a parody of power. It was like a a political theatre. We know of stories all through the Middle Ages of festivals where for a day the rich serve the poor. Men uh, act in the roles of women, doing the jobs of women and women in the the roles of men. In some there are festivals where children um, take on the roles of adults and adults must be the children. They're they're political parody, but they're also a kind of a, a... a a circuit breaker in all of the tensions of the world and they're a glimpse of a different experience of the world. That's part of why we have the Palm Sunday story. It's a glimpse of a different experience. But why do we care about the power and the struggle between Rome and Israel? Well, it's because Jesus there was offering a different kind of power, not force, violence, then victory, then peace, a desert of peace. But Jesus was offering reconciliation, justice for all, true peace. And we live in the same kind of world. It's not as cruel and as vindictive as the world of the Romans. But we have the same temptations to force our will onto others, to to have violence so that we have victory and then everything is the way we want it to be, a kind of peace. Or we've been in plenty of experiences where we've been forced or manipulated by others. This is the feeling we often have with advertising or with politicians who telling us a certain way uh, that they see the world. And we feel that sense that we're being not told the whole truth. We're being manipulated. So whilst it's not as violent, we're in the same kind of world as, as Jesus was in the first in those days coming in on Palm Sunday. But Jesus, you see, is bringing something more. It's a radical kind of power that is, in a sense, no power. It's the end of power as the way of doing things. The world of God is a world in reverse. Palm Sunday is directly opposite the Roman force coming in through the main gate. Jesus is coming in through the back gate. And all through, all through his ministry, he says, the poor are actually the rich ones. The last are going to be first. These kinds of turning the world upside down, the forgotten will be the remembered. He says, call no one father. Call no one father or Lord. Have no hierarchy. In a world where hierarchy was everything, this is a complete reversal. Jesus heals the son of a Roman soldier. He, he heals people who don't 
deserve to be healed. People at the bottom end of society in the, in the world that Jesus lived in. He paid attention to children in a world where that was ridiculous. You only pay attention to those who are powerful and who can do you good. Children have no power. All through the Gospels, Jesus seeks out the lowly and the lost, inviting them all the time into a deep intimacy with God. That's why people stood on the side of the road at Palm Sunday and shouted, save us, because they understood a different experience of the world. Maybe not fully. We don't understand it fully. But they got a glimpse of a different way of being human, a different way of running culture and society. And they longed for it. They wanted something that wasn't as locked down and as controlling and as damaging to people. And they saw it and they longed for it. Hosanna, save us. In our time of fear and anxiety and terrible change everywhere, in this moment, we could easily feel controlled and manipulated and we could feel the urge to dominate others. We see it sometimes in the panic buying we're seeing in supermarkets. The desire to get more than the other person in order to feel like we're in control. And all the time God is inviting us into the other reality, the true reality of the world, a reality of love, welcome, grace and deep connection with God, with each other and with God's world. That's what we're being invited into in the story of Palm Sunday. It's what we're being invited into every moment in our own lives. Even in this moment when we feel separated from each other, God is reminding us that the true reality of the world is that we're deeply interconnected. Even if we can't see and spend time with each other, we are deeply interconnected with each other, with God and with God's world. Palm Sunday is an amazing story.